glasses on. How do I look? Good. And I was going to say glasses off. I'm like, I think I like glasses off better, but now I can't see anything. <laughs> you look better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Welcome to The Well. I am Brandon Edgens. And I'm Anson Mount. And Anson Mount, you are coming to your basement studio. I'm coming from my barely covered crazy mad scientist uh, desk behind me. The curtain doesn't quite cover it, but, you know, I have the blurry spell on, so that helps hide it. Which is crazy, because the last time we spoke, we were together in a completely different part of the world. Mm. We were in Aruba. <laughs> mm-hmm. With my ties in our hand and mm-hmm. the breeze in our hair, and uh, plans to do a, 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 a catch up there, which never happened. But um, we were on island time. Yeah, we were on <laughs> <laughs> island time. Yes, and uh, we were there for uh, the, the wedding of some close friends, some mutual friends of ours, which was beautiful. Really was private island which was unfortunately close to the airport so that even though it was visually stunning every now and then Mm -hmm. you'd get this roar uh coming from over the water and and, but i don't remember that actually happening during the ceremony no it didn't actually yeah no it didn't at all you know i I don't I'm, i'm i'm not a uh fantasist of any kind but you know that it did feel like there was something holding back the weather holding back the planes during that ceremony yeah. because the weather it was you could see because it's the ocean you can see forever you can see the clouds coming over and like it was blowing a little rain onto our outdoor wedding thing i could just tell she was getting very very nervous <laughs> about it i could see it on her face <laughs> she was so stressed and but it never did it never rained so instead we got uh amazing dramatic clouds and the sun peeking through behind through the clouds behind them (laughs) reflecting off the ocean i was like oh this is ridiculous (laughs) yeah yeah it was really beautiful and uh it was great to have a little downtime we had a a great time there you 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 turned 50 i turned 50 that was a great time yeah you want to share with us how you did that uh yeah i uh i've managed to live for 50 rotations around the sun uh that's how you do that that's how you turn 50 (laughs) and don't expire before you do that and then that's how you become 50 um no i had a couple of rituals in mind uh actually only one i knew that my friends you included and sharon and everybody else who was there joining us wouldn't make plans for me and celebrate with me and they did and it was that was amazing i'll get to that in a second but I wanted to do a thing on my own that was just for me. So midnight, on my birthday, I decided to do a night dive um, out in the ocean by myself. I'm glad that my mother does not listen to this podcast um, because that was panic her. And it, it, the idea of it panics a lot of people. It was weird for me too. But the idea was to get in the water into the ocean at 49 and then come out of the ocean at 50 
And that's exactly what I did. And so I got my Air Buddy. It's a tankless diving system. It's not scuba. It's basically an air compressor with a hose and um, shore dived, got off, into the, got into the water around 1140 and went out a good distance, probably about 100 yards or so uh, towards a, where I knew there was a reef. And yeah, just to, just by myself, sort of crawling along the ocean floor uh, with a flashlight. And that's weird because a flashlight at night in the ocean just gives you that sort of horror movie corridor of light. You know, you can only see what's directly in front of you. And it's up to your imagination. That is everywhere else, you know, so... It, it definitely felt a little... I was okay at first. Uh, and I'm swimming along probably about 80 yards out. I have that feeling of there's something else here, and it's big. I got a... Something kind of... my Edge of my flashlight caught something, so like... Switch over. Biggest porcupine puffer fish I've ever seen. He must have been three feet long. And what's weird about those fish is that they have faces... Like most fish don't have a face. They have an eye on one side of a flat head, but these, but puffers have kind of a face. So he kind of jolted a little bit. I kind of jolted a little bit. We looked at each other He decided I was, uh, lost, um, helpless in some way, not a threat. And he just turned to swam away. And then I got out to the reef and that's when like, I'm a rational person and I kept making sure that I was safe, but there was just something creeping up in the back of my brain going, no, 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 this is a, this is dumb. This is really, really dumb. And I was arguing with this like uh, hamster brain in the back of my head, like, no, I'm totally fine. I know what I'm doing. I'm experienced. I have lights, blah, blah, blah. Shorts not that far away. I'm oriented. I know where I am. And uh, <laughs> this louder, louder voice going, mm-mm. No, no. <laughs> You're in the ocean at night. What are you doing? <laughs> You're in the ocean at night by yourself. Get out of here. I'm like, and I'm like, no, just a little further. No, turn around. No, I want to see what's behind the thing. No, go. We're going. We're going out. Like, okay, fine. <laughs> then tried to be cool when I swam back. <laughs> Took my time. And then I saw a lobster. That was cool. Uh <laughs> I love, I love mm. how you're. I, I love how you're trying to play it cool in front of your subconscious. <laughs> like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give in to him. I'm not gonna show him I'm scared. <laughs> F you, self. You've always been scared. You don't rule me. Yeah, I kind of do actually. I kind of do rule you actually. We're now, getting out of here now. When you emerged from the wa- from the water, did did. What did people cheer? Was the boat play? See, I would have had the boat playing Carmina Burana on the on the loudspeaker, just blaring. <laughs> You're right. I missed it. That was or, an opportunity. Or thus, or a... thus, thus spake Zarathustra. No, but you know what does occur to me every time I. W- wander out of the ocean dragging my gear up the beach not this time but every other time I'm sound of ocean 
me struggling up the beach and then collapsing in front of the camera to go <laughs> so for me it was a flying circus intro would have been it would have been better for me well now there's a segue because what i was going to to catch up uh with you guys about is is um i really i recently had um the experience to meet one of my acting heroes uh i was at megacon in orlando and looked over in the green room and lo and behold who do i see standing there but john cleese Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, I, that he, this guy defines so much of what I understand it's, to be comedy. Um, I, I, I don't even know where to start from Monty Python to a fish called Wanda to faulty towers. Uh, this guy is just a, it's a giant in the world of comedic, of comedic acting. Yeah. And how was he? You- he, well, uh, of, uh, Gates McFadden was talking mm-hmm. to him. Uh, first, and she came up to me and said, "He's so nice." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, then, would you, would you mind introducing me?" So Gates introduced me to to John Cleese, and and he was really uh, he was really lovely. And mm-hmm. he the conversation went something like, "I'm sorry, uh, should should I know you?" And I said, "No, no, no, not necessarily. I'm just I'm I'm in a I'm in a show called." Were you, are you, have you been around for a while? And I was like, at the, here or at the, in the just in general? Said, in general. I said, well, I used to be on a show. I like you. Come here, hug me. <laughs> <laughs> and he hugged me and uh, <laughs> would not let me finish a sentence. And then, uh, and then this other guy comes walking up um, and introduces himself to John while we're talking and says, says mr cleese i'm i'm andrew i'm the um I, you know chief uh secretary of blah 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 for this entire series of conventions uh and just wanted to introduce myself to you and and john said well in that case perhaps you could find me a muffin the fresh out <laughs> guy walks away and like 15 minutes later, we're sitting at the table and the guy comes up and he delivers a muffin to John Cleese. <laughs> I was like, you rock. I mean, uh, that man deserves it. <laughs> he, he does. He absolutely. deserves at least a muffin. Absolutely. At least. I, I know. I think I, I think I told you the story about the Zoom comedy thing that we were on with John Cleese for. He's like back in the heart of the pandemic. And it was a comedy club. His oh, yeah. daughter. It's his daughter, right? Is going yes. into stand up. Yeah. yeah, I believe so. They're they're also producing together. They're, they're right. planning on bringing back Faulty Thou- Faulty Towers. Oh, with the, the, his, yeah. with his daughter. I believe so. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. But, but I, yeah, I didn't know that she was doing. Oh, sorry, that's my chair. Um, I didn't know that she was doing uh, comedy. Makes sense. Yeah. She was learning for the best. Yeah. Uh, so there was this Zoom event, and there's you know, like 80 people there. John Cleese, his daughter, and this guy who was kind of an MC. Don't remember his name. And everyone kind of wanted to, I don't know, wax nostalgic with Cleese. Mm-hmm. He's being very uh, generous, but you get the sense that he can only be generous to a point. And uh, he was getting bored. 
and just wonder like this dude with something someone restless like that he still had a restless mind at mm. his age and he's like i need something to happen i just need something different to happen and he was like somebody insult me <laughs> and so sharon my wife said i'm gonna insult you like you've never been insulted before i'm going to insult you in mong and i'm not gonna try to say it because i can't but she says something to him in mong and then there's a long aside about what it sounded like she said and no one knew what she said <laughs> finally she says I'll translate it for you. I said to you, you smell like rotten meat and your mother thinks that she's somebody, but she's not. <laughs> and he let, he actually laughed until he turned red. And he was like coughing kind of like laughter. Uh, he got such a kick out of it. And then he said, oh, if you only knew, uh, that is so true about my mother. Um, she just died. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it turns out it turns out well she she hadn't just died she lived a perfect century mm. she was born oh. in 1900 born uh, and died in 2000 maybe 2001 i think so she lived the entire century and uh and cleese was telling us about her, saying, oh, she was always a very sad, kind of depressed person. And she, yeah, she lived through all the big changes. She started out with horse and wagons and, you know, saw cars and electricity, lights, photography, the space age, everything. And she didn't notice any of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he, and then he talked to, and he told the story about, an episode with his mother that convinced him to go into comedy. Do you know this one? No. He was kind of, well, what was he doing before? Because all those Python guys were on a different track. Yeah, you know? no, I just, I heard uh, a couple of them, I believe, were studying philosophy. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, Graham, were, Graham yeah. was, was med, was pre-med. Or, he, no, he, he, he finished his medical degree. Mm. And I think one of them was maybe in law, going into law. I don't remember, but obviously didn't go to Cambridge and Oxford to start the Flying Circus. Right. <laughs> but they were doing something else. And Lise, you know, he said his mother was always, you remember, yeah, sounds clinically depressed and was always just very negative and very down and uh, talked about kind of not wanting to be around. And Lise remember there was in his neighborhood there was kind of like a small time crime family that everyone knew of everyone knew who they were and there was a rumor that one of them um was was a hitman and actually mm -hmm. killed people so he's on the phone with his mother his mother is complaining and complaining and complaining and he says and he decides to risk it he normally just sat, sits, sat there and listened and kind of suffered through it and this time he dared and was like, well, you know, if you're having such a hard time, maybe we can get uh, one of the McKinney boys to take care of you. <laughs> and he was like, oh, why don't I do that? <laughs> There's a long silence. And then she just exploded into laughter. <laughs> and it was his moment of like, wow, look how powerful a joke can be. Look how powerful right. humor can be. Yeah. Look what it just did to her. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and everything's in that story. He took a huge risk for him, you know, to threaten, to make a joke about hiring someone to kill your own mother to your mother. <laughs> and yeah. then the power of it. I don't know. That really, that really caught me. Uh, maybe we should get into the drop. Uh, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know and are new to the show, these are this is not our normal episodes. We don't normally come on here and just sort of ramble like we just have about our lives and our uh, comedy fetish and our uh, getting wet to turn fifty uh, or vice versa. It, but what we what we normally do is we we um, we have these. Th- this is a new segment called the drop, relatively new, where uh, in order to to keep in touch with our our listeners uh we we occasionally get together and talk about everything we've been seeing reading hearing listening to and um and things that are inspiring us uh if you want to listen to the show if you're new to the show we recommend that you do start at the beginning with our regular episodes and work your way forward but uh, you're certainly not going to miss out by listening to this uh and everything will make sense if you listen to it out of order as well but um, yeah. With that said, why don't we why don't we get started? Right. Uh, so, are we actually going to roll for how long have we been on? Twenty minutes before we introduce the show that we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> why don't we? No, that's actually a very flying circus thing to do. Why don't we put the intro and the credits at the end? Right. <laughs> um, it's. <laughs> it's it's owl stretching time. Um, uh, and now so for something what, completely different. And now for something completely different. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Okay, so I guess I'll go first. Okay. I just, you saw Dungeons okay, and Dragons. I saw Dungeons and Dragons and loved it. Uh, I was surprised how much I I, I thought I was going to like it, but I didn't know I was going to like it that much. It, it captures the... Uh, the improv of the game, as you and I know, is as people who don't know, Anson was our dungeon master for some time and uh, had to put up with all of us kind of goofing around, trying to keep us on track. And so much of the fun of the game is discussing what ifs with your teammates and trying out something and it not working or backfiring spectacularly because you rolled a one or something. And and then having to like retreat, run, and figure out something else. And that's improv. And it never occurred to me until watching the movie that improv is the kind of the heart of comedy. So they took, they found all that humor in the movie. I was surprised at uh, how it managed to pay close attention to the game and really honors the game without getting kind of like stuck on it or mm-hmm. obsessive and going, going down a rabbit hole about it. Um, I'll give away one thing, but there's so much in this movie. This isn't a big deal. There's a character, a paladin in the movie who's clearly an NPC. He's being puppeteered by the, by a dungeon master who never appears. There's there's no talk of a dungeon master or anything in this movie. But clearly there's something weird about this guy. He can't take a joke. His banter sucks. He's just sort of he's just can't he delivers information and he's weirdly knowledgeable and awesome at every single thing that he does. And then like 
exits the campaign at like a really important moment. And it just kind of doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and all the other players are like, where are you going? And he's like, I must be off. And like, why now? <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense in like normal screenwriting rules, you know? Right. But if you've played but, the game. Yeah. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I really loved it. Oh God. I've got to see it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to dig it. Awesome. And you, I have one more. Should I just go my dive into my other one? Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Bo is afraid. Who? Ari Aster's. What? You ever heard of this? No. Uh, Ari Aster, Hereditary and Midsummer. His new film, Bo is Afraid. Oh, oh. With Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, no, I don't know anything about it. Oh, wow. Uh, now I'm not sure much to say. But um, I like this filmmaker. And this is my favorite thing he's made by really? far. Oh, man. I, so I always feel weird about this moment where I'm going to recommend something and I don't want to set people up. You know, to be, I don't want to oversell it. And I will say, it's not for everyone. A lot of people actually really hate this movie. <laughs> um, I loved it. It was, I felt like it was made for me. I mean, like the first, the only complaint I, it's not really even a complaint, but the first hour is so good. He, he sets the bar so high for himself that I, I don't know how he, how he could have possibly sustained it all the way to the end but there, it's also good you don't care you know by the time maybe it starts to sag towards the end a little bit like you still don't care it's just like it was so worth it um and it's i don't know what to say about it it's kind of like a thomas pinchon meets franz kafka it's like maximum neuroses i can't even stress i like how neurotic this thing is um uh, and funny and and because it's Ari Aster he somehow finds comedy and horror in the exact same note it's mm. not it's not like Evil Dead or something where it goes back and forth between horror and comedy and they overlap a little it's the same point and in that same mm. beat in that same moment like that's horrific and that's really funny <laughs> <laughs> I don't know quite how he pulls all that off but I'm utterly impressed um yeah i'm still kind of buzzing about that one mm. and uh and to finish off and do this in a trilogy last night i saw evil dead rise oh uh, yeah that's it i saw it no. <laughs> now i'm gonna i'm not gonna bring everyone down <laughs> with my review of that <laughs> it's fine it's fine who did that i can't remember the name of the guy I can't remember yeah. the guy's name. It was still yeah. produced by Ramey and Campbell, right. but but it I, just yeah, it's something. It's it's got to be them. It looks fine, but that's not the point. It's just not Evil Dead to me. It's not mm -hmm. funny. Right? It's super grim. It's really, really, really grim. Hmm. Um, it also has a kind of a um, it's like it's like somebody had a horror movie scare deck of cards, and you're just kind of dealing them out. Hmm. You know, I'm like, okay. Well, this before we destroy my friendship with Sam Raimi, let's, uh, <laughs> sorry, I, don't blame, I don't blame Sam Raimi at all. <laughs> I don't blame Sam Raimi at all. We can always edit this part out. And by uh, opinions are my own. Anson and I disagree all the time. Um, well, I, I've got a couple of things. I, I, um, you know, I'm a big sci-fi reader and there's a book I've been 
saving for a long time uh, one of the staples of science fiction probably in the past 25 years is uh, Hyperion by Dan Simmons. It's on everybody's top 10 list. And uh, I figured, okay, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to finally pick this up. And it did not disappoint. It is, um, it's a sci-fi take on basically a mashup of the Canterbury Tales and Beowulf. And it is a feat of world building on top of that and really well-drawn characters. It's a, it's a, a traveling group of pilgrims who all have to tell their individual stories of how they got there in order to, to unlock mm -hmm. some, some clue. And they're also heading into the heart of the beast at the same time. And it's, it's really enjoyable. Uh, I can't wait to read there. Are, there are some sequels. I can't wait to read them. Um, so that's on my, my, what's been on my, my bedside table and what I've been watching recently is the, the final season of, su of su succession. Ugh. it's, which I know you're watching too. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I, we've talked about this before, I believe. And I, 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 when succession first came out, I, I tried it and I gave up on it at first because I just, I was like, who are you rooting for? You know, like I, there's no hero. And and then I gave it another shot and I realized, oh, I know what this is. This is a gorgeous slow motion train wreck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, you can just love it for exactly that. It is beautifully cast from top to bottom yeah. and great, great writing as well as you can tell that there there are times where they allow the actors to play fast and loose with the scenes. Mm. And you, especially when it, when it comes to the scenes between cousin Greg and sorry, who's, who's Siobhan's husband. What's the character's name? Uh, well, I can't pronounce it. It's, it's Tom, 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 Tom and Greg. Well, Baggins or something like that. They, they have, you can tell that they, they let them go out on a limb quite mm -hmm. a bit. And it's just every time those two are on screen together, it's just gold. It's the it's the perfect rendition of high low status comedy, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, it's it's a really well told story, and I got a lot of respect for for the filmmakers who decided no, you know, it's a huge hit, but no, this is four seasons going to be it. This story's over. There's mm -hmm. there's we we don't want to drag it out longer than it needs to to be dragged. I really dig that, and I'm enjoying the hell out of this last season. It just does not disappoint. I don't know if we want to spoil it. No, we should. They made it. No, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. But they they take they make big, big, big decisions. That was uh, a big decision. Yeah, yeah. And but then in retrospect, you're like, of course, they're so smart. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you can't save that till the end. That right. wouldn't work. No, no. So absolutely. So but for man, those of you who don't ooh. know what we're talking about, uh, jump into succession if you if you can. And those of you who do know what we're talking about, um, help us keep the secret. Don't spoil this for me. <laughs> for those who know what we're talking about, don't tell, don't tell the people that don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> don't start your own podcast. <laughs> just call what? Just create a podcast called Spoilers, and that's all you do. Is ruin and it for the, other people. And then the other thing is, I was um, I was home alone with my daughter the other day, 
who is now 16 months and she has her little, her little, uh, they call it a, a learning tower, which basically just a, it's a fancy stool with mm-hmm. sides on it. So she can't fall out that you put up to the kitchen counter so that she can stand there with you at the kitchen counter. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, cause it's amazing how much you start to realize how much time you spend in the kitchen as a family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she, she eats there. She's standing up on her, her learning tower. And, uh, one day I just, I, I was like, you want to play some music? And I turned the computer around and I pulled up. I was like, I, I feel like listening to Nirvana. So I pulled up MTV's, MTV MTV Unplugged Nirvana. And I hit, uh, instead of hitting um, the album, I, I I inadvertently hit the the show itself. And mm-hmm. it started playing. And my daughter was wrapped. She <laughs> just could not take her eyes off of Kurt Cobain. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure... If that, what if that bodes well for her musical taste, or bodes not so well for her taste in men? But um, <laughs> it was, it, it 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 reminded me how brilliant of an album that was, and when that first came. I mean, I remember the day he died like it was yesterday, and I'm not sure why. Mm. But um, I love love that album still I mean it's interesting that there's something and by the way her... no I mean no slight to, to Kurt Cobain when I said <laughs> does not bode well for her taste in men I don't mean that about Kurt Cobain I mean that about about I don't I don't want her to become a groupie oh right well I, it's also interesting that um, I don't know there's something elemental about Cobain's Talent and oh, performance, yeah. yeah. And I think as I can, I can see a baby that cutting through to a baby mind that can still, even at that age, go. This is the real thing. This, yeah. this I trust this man. He knows what and, he's doing. And how and how amazingly loose that session was. Like there, you, yeah. you, when you mm-hmm. watch the show instead of listen to the album, you see them discussing. Should we do this? Should we do that? I don't mm-hmm. know. Should we play these? You know what? Screw it. Let's play these back to back. It doesn't matter. They're both on the same album. You know what? Or you know what? This this one I, I tuned down to a D, so I'm not sure that's going to work here. And it's really, it's not polished at all. Mm-hmm. It's just them raw, which is what that show was all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of that. I mean, everyone. I think most people, especially our age, they know that show. They know that performance. But I want to give a quick shout out to. Uh, the Kirkwood brothers from the Meat Puppets because they were the backup. Um, they were kind of this session musicians in a way that kind of um, supported Nirvana for that show. And they are uh, basically one of my most one of my favorite musicians of all time. I, I don't talk about them that much, but they uh, they're astonishingly good. I don't know how familiar you are how familiar you are with the Meat Puppets, but. Um, Kirkwood Brothers, man, they're just, they kind of started the cowpunk thing, so it's kind of this bluegrass, country-inflected mm. punk rock, and God, they are sensational musicians. Oh, you know what? Sensational. Uh, that reminds me, I was not going to talk about this, but you just reminded me, um, and it's worth mentioning, I was in Cleveland recently, and I got to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, if you've never been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you have got to go. It is 
so much bigger and more impressive than you can possibly imagine. Uh, I am pay designed the building. So it's, it's huge and it, it resembles the Louvre kind of, and we got a special tour. So with it, the first thing that is, they brought us back to the, the archives and, um, the first thing that the lady pulled out for us was Jimi Hendrix's patchwork jacket. And you know exactly, you can see in your head the jacket I'm talking about right now. Mm-hmm. They've just gotten it in. And then they pulled out the notebook oh with God. the handwritten lyrics to Born in the USA. Wow. <laughs> I mean, those are just the first two things, right? Mm-hmm. Jeez. And, uh, and, the, and then you just... You, because it's only kind of recently that these things can start to be con- really considered history, and the mm-hmm. the the standing rule is that that you can't to be inducted. I believe it is twenty five years from the publishing of your first album. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know what the that's, rules were. That's the that's a, and. Come to find it, because I was asking, have the Dick Kennedys been inducted? And, you know, uh, all these different, Dex Romweber, they're like, no, no, mm-hmm. no. I was like, what? And then I got into the actual Hall of Fame where they have, you know, the, all the names of the bands and the, the, the musicians in gold etched into the wall. And you realize it's a very select group. It's only about five or six people a year mm-hmm. get inducted into, into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the the displays themselves were interesting, not just that by what was there, but what was sometimes not there, because they maintain a working relationship with the musician. So, for instance, when Alice Cooper was going back on tour, he didn't like the new guillotine that they built for him. Mm-hmm. So he asked if he could borrow back his original guillotine from the 1970s. And he took it on tour and then he brought it back to them. And, and right now Depeche Mode is on tour. So their, their exhibit is completely empty. Uh, oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. It, it, it's it, in the, and then the, just there, the, and it's not just the inductees. There's a lot, there's a, there are sections dedicated to entire movements or entire sections of the country. And, and just, if you keep your eyes peeled, you will come across every now and then a name of a band you have never heard of that you can then go and pull up on iTunes and have a blast. Mine mm. this time was a band called Moby Grape out of San Francisco in <laughs> the 1960s. And they are everything I wanted to be listening yeah. to. You know, they're kind of some bread. They're kind of some stones. They're, they're, they're really gritty rock and roll. And, um, then the band that I love their name, but it wasn't quite my jam. Uh, check this name: the Quicksilver Quicksilver Delivery Service. <laughs> great name. That's a great. Yeah. What a great name for a band. It also ni- San Francisco, nineteen sixties. Um. So yeah, I, 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 man, you you cannot do it in a day. You mm. you got. I didn't you realize gotta, you got to go back a couple of days in a row to really see it all. It was that big. And then you sent me, while you were there, you sent me that uh, picture of Jimi Hendrix's guitar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, there, was a, there was a guitar painted in, in nail polish mm-hmm. that 
I hadn't read the placard closely. And I said, I said to my tour guides, I said, my friend is the biggest Jimi Hendrix fan in the world. He's going to love this. I took the picture, sent it to Brandon. Brandon sent back, he, you'd read the placard and apparently somebody had painted over it. Yes. You're like, I said, what you, kind of, what kind of asshole does that? Fuck him. I, I, said, I showed I, it to my tour guides and they started, they died laughing. Wow. He really is the biggest Jimi Hendrix fan. I, was, I, sent you, I sent you back immediately an annotated photograph of the photograph <laughs> you just sent me of like, of because yeah, somebody like, oh, who is that guy? I was going to remember his name. But yeah, Jimmy Hendrix painted it with nail polish, this flower thing, and he gave it to a band. The, you know what? Screw him. I'm not going to publish and give his name any more air. He's the one that, <laughs> he's the one that uh, painted over an all black. He went over Jimmy Hendrix's paint job with an all-black paint scheme. So not only to go over Jimmy Hendrix's paint scheme, he also went over with the most boring non-idea ever. <laughs> so, yeah, F him. I, what I didn't send you a picture of that they also had there was the soundboard that Jimi Hendrix had made specifically oh, wow. to record Electric Ladyland. Wow. That, that, and you can look, and the, the, the face of the board is... All of the whole, it's one sheet of, of stainless steel and everywhere they had to cut in rectangular holes for the, for the switches and the knobs are uh -huh. just rough sawn into oh, this. Wow. You can see how it was hand, literally handmade and put together and they have it there. Oh, that's cool. So like, uh, the metal still has like little burrs on it and stuff. Like yeah. still kind of. Yeah. It's not finished. It, it's not finished at all. You could cut yourself on this thing. That's so rock and roll. <laughs> the Well is produced, edited, and recorded by Anson Mount and me, Brandon Edgens. Theme music written by Jonathan Myberg and performed by Brandon Edgens. Until next time, have a good time. <laughs>